Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey everyone. This week, we will be discussing Season 4, Episode 8, The Deposition. In this episode, Jan fights back, Michael must make a decision, and while the cat's away, the mice will play. This cold open is a return to just kind of the long-running joke form of a cold open. Pretty much this entire season, we have gotten cold opens that have to do with the plot of the episode at large, and this episode strays away from that. We see Michael in a meeting with, I believe it's the accounting department. Correct. And Pam comes in and shows him a post-it note and says, oh, I'll, I'll call them back. And Kevin kind of points out the fact that you never call anyone back. <laughs> and Pam reveals that one time Michael did actually have a call. And she brought in the fact that someone was on this line for him and he loved it. It made him feel super important. And so he wants he wanted Pam to continue to do that thing. But as Pam points out, Michael doesn't get a whole lot of phone calls. So now she does it like every 10 minutes at Michael's request when he's in a meeting. And unfortunately for both Michael and Pam, she's not very judicious as to who he is meeting with. So it looks like he's having a meeting with sales staff and she brings him in just to post it, post it that says, good morning. And he says, oh, okay, I'll call them back. When he's eating lunch with Jan in the break room, he brings a post-it. When Michael is eating lunch with Jan in the break room, Pam brings in a post-it with just a drawing on it. I think that was a doodle that time. I think that was a smiley face. A smiley face. I think you're right. And so uh, Michael's like, oh, of course. Tell them I'm in a meeting. Which really flattered Jan. But the problem comes at the end of the cold open when Ryan is in Michael's office and is sort of chiding Michael because he does not appear to know how to use some sort of program. Maybe it's PowerPoint again. Pam comes in with a hot dog like it's a hot dog with uh arms and legs and a face and it just says hiya buddy and michael says oh that's a very important important client but i have the most important client right in front of me which is just not what you should say to your boss so they both didn't play that very well yes so michael's ploy to kind of look more busy and important than he is really backfires here because ryan insists that Michael take this call and of course there is no call and so Michael's just like all right go ahead and patch him through Pam and then he opens the conversation with hiya buddy and that's all we see this episode opens with Michael and Jan on the road to New York City to the corporate office for Jan's wrongful termination suit deposition Correct. So Michael is being deposed. And the reason that they have to go to New York City is probably because that's where the lawsuit was filed, because that's where the termination and Jan's employment occurred. 
So they are driving from Scranton in Michael's PT Cruiser. And Jan has coached Michael on what to say. And Michael is pretty much blatantly saying that to the camera. And Jan sort of is like, oh, no, he's just kidding. But that's actually really what happens. Jan has really gone over things with Michael and wants him to say certain specific words, which is really not how a a deposition goes. Like, so for example, she wants Michael to say that it wasn't just about the termination, which she is claiming is due to her breast augmentation, but that Dunder Mifflin displayed a pattern of disrespect and inappropriate behavior towards Jan over the course of her employment. And I'll just, a side note here, you don't just point out the elements of a case by just stating them, by just having your witness in a deposition state them. The point of the deposition is to collect and gather evidence by which you can present at trial or you decide to settle to show if you're actually meeting those elements. So I believe wrongful termination has about five elements that you're going to need to prove in order to win a case. So Michael just saying, well, Dunder Mifflin exhibits a pattern of disrespect and behavior and inappropriate behavior towards its employees and towards Jan doesn't do anything for anybody. And so Michael is ready to go to bat for Jan because she is his girlfriend and he cares about her. But also due to the fact that $4 million is on the line, which is the amount that Jan is seeking for this termination. And so they get to New York and they're getting ready to go inside. And Ryan comes out and he just asks to talk to Michael off to the side, off the record. And the key phrase that Ryan uses here is, as a friend... Ryan very much knows the buttons to push with Michael, and this is the gigantic break glass in case of emergency button for Michael, in that if you really want Michael to do anything that you want, just allude to the fact that you're friends with him, and he will do that thing. Because that is the thing that Michael wants most in the world, is to be friends, especially with the Ryans, the Jims, and the Pams of the show. I really feel really bad for Michael in this situation. He is being played by both Jan. Everyone. Everyone in this episode. Yeah, it's really sad to watch. And the thing is, if you think about it, if you think about a wrongful termination suit, Michael is not going to be your star witness, but everyone is building it up like he is. And because he's so malleable, that's what they're trying to do. Ryan's probably been encouraged to say this or brought it up with the, you know, the rest of the C-suite of, oh, I can talk to him like we're pals. I can see what he's thinking here. Try to encourage him to think about the company. It's a little odd to me that Dunder Mifflin is also, as Ryan said in the position, like they're just in a tight spot with this, where honestly they have pretty good grounds for Jane's termination. And as we said in season three, probably should have done it 
before they did. Now, the thing comes is like, even if you have a good case, you have to spend a lot of money in order to win that case. It's interesting to me that Jan has a pretty competent lawyer. Don't know how they're funding that, uh, given that they're, they had the money troubles uh, of a couple episodes ago. And so poor Michael is just really being put through the ringer here. And everyone is sort of making it out as though because he's in both camps, so to speak, he's dating Jan and he is an employee of Dunder Mifflin that he can provide some sort of like credible testimony, you could say. And to the point that it is going to be on Dunder Mifflin to provide credible evidence that Jan should have been fired. I think that that might be kind of the struggle for them because let's say that Jan's struggles started around the time that she got divorced. Just Which is what it sounds like. Right. That was back in season two. Yeah. Like early season two and she gets fired at the end of season three which of course that's not how a timeline in the real world works but there seemingly is a decent amount of time that goes by in that span of time we're probably looking at a year plus like the Stanford branch shut down Mm -hmm. all those people quit in that time Jim and Karen's relationship happened in that time. And we know that was probably like six, eight-ish months, Mm -hmm. maybe. Somewhere in that time window, yeah. So it's probably not a stretch to assume that Jan's performance had been deteriorating during that time. And so what was it at this moment that made her disposable rather than, say six months ago, eight months ago. I think it was, as as David Wallace had put it, her behavior was becoming increasingly erratic. She would leave for stretches at a time. I think it was becoming crisis point type behavior instead of like, oh, she seems off. Or, you know, Michael even makes a little bit of a case for Dunder Mifflin when he's talking about the beginning of, their relationship or when you know their relationship could have potentially been pegged to have started because he said he said she had been drinking a lot and could that have been contributing to that so there was something going on and then there was just this unfortunate downward spiral for Jan so the Dunder Mifflin council is trying to pin down when the start of their relationship was Because that goes to Michael's credibility and it goes to Jan's maybe overall well-being, you could say, because they also try to really paint, and it's not too much of a stretch to say this, that this woman doesn't even like her own boyfriend. This is someone that unfortunately is not doing well, was not doing well in her job, and just needed to be fired. So for Michael, things go off the rails kind of early. You know, very first question, he says what he's been coached to say about the pattern of disrespect and inappropriate behavior. A couple questions in, though, he tries to say a joke. 
in response to a question. Yeah, as you alluded to earlier, Michael is seemingly the star witness in this case, probably honestly for both sides. Like both sides think that Michael is going to be the one that really breaks this open for them in that on Jan's side, Michael has been coached up and he knows the things to say and like he's going to be, and he's a, you know, a seemingly loyal employee of Dunder Mifflin. And so if you can get a guy like that to flip or talk bad about Dunder Mifflin, it won't look great. However, I have a feeling the Dunder Mifflin side, they have more evidence, but also they know who Michael is. Yeah. And so Michael spends this entire deposition looking really, really dumb because, well, he is. Like, he is mispronouncing words all over the place. He is misusing words all over the place. Like you said, he throws in a that's what she said joke in the middle of a deposition that's on the record that then gets read back when everybody is confused as to why he said that's what she said. People think that the she in this situation is Jan saying something rather than just the joke that Michael tells all the time. And it wasn't even that great of a, that's what she said. No, it didn't really make sense. The question was, and you were under her the whole time, meaning Jan was your supervisor. And Michael's instant response was, that's what she said. And everyone in the room is confused. It takes several moments, a read back by the court reporter for them to just move on. And it just, like we said, it goes downhill from there particularly when they're trying to pin down the start of the relationship. So if you think back to season two in the episode, the client, when they met with Christian from Lackawanna County at the Chili's, Jan was so excited that they got the client that she kissed Michael in the parking lot. And for Mike, that's what he said. Well, you know, if it was the first time we kissed, it would have been four years ago. If it was the first time we kissed sober, it was four months after that. So he's, digging himself into a hole that Jan was trying to avoid. The company counsel, because Michael sent this photo over work email, has the photo of Jan and Michael in Jamaica, which was clearly before their quote-unquote love contract that they registered their relationship with uh, HR. Which Michael has produced in its frame that he probably has hanging on his wall at home and this was kind of the like this is the very short-sighted part on Jan's part because I mean maybe she forgot about it or did her best to forget about it but like when Michael brings out the love contract if you will like Jan is like looking very smug and just like boom got you guys now and it is immediately after this that the Dunder Mifflin side produces the photo of Michael and Jan in Jamaica and Jan is furious. And Jan is sort of forgetting like she's a little overly involved here. Also real world Jan wouldn't be there at the deposition. I was just thinking that (laughs) as we were discussing this. Would Jan be there? Would any like it would just be 
Michael, Dunder Mifflin Council. Jan's Council. Jan's Council recorder. Yeah, and Uh, potentially HR as just like a company representative, but there wouldn't really be that many people. And so then Jan wouldn't have such like an influence. There wouldn't be conversations back and forth. And what's interesting is that Jan, everything is going to come out in a deposition. There are rules like you have to share what you have. So unfortunately, the portrayal of like just lawsuits and trials in the media, like movies and TV, you're, you're going to be surprised potentially in a deposition, but you can say more in a deposition than would be allowed in a court of law. All documents have to be shared. There are no surprises at trial. If there's a surprise, something's gone terribly wrong or you have a terrible attorney or someone has violated some ethical rules. So there's not going to be a smoking gun sort of thing. Everything is shared. There is a ton of documents going back and forth um, in the evidentiary stage. The largest part of a lawsuit is this portion. It's going to take potentially years. If you're in a wrongful termination suit, that it, you're going to just be buried in documents. You're going to be buried in performance reviews, interviews with, with superiors, inferiors. It, it's going to be a lot. One smoking gun to Michael, however, is that Jan's lawyer produces his diary. Jan has given it to her lawyer. She's clearly read it because Michael has given a very honest accounting of their trip to Jamaica. He says that Jan has made it absolutely clear that they are not dating, that this is just a one-time thing and nothing else will come of it. So in this situation, does that matter? I understand like them being two consenting adults having a sexual relationship that doesn't mean anything when one of those people is the direct superior to the other right like it the the recognition of hey we're dating in this situation doesn't really matter i mean that's what i think here that if perhaps the fact that Jan was having a sexual relationship with her inferior is just supporting Dunder Mifflin's termination here. Jan doesn't have any defense to that. Doesn't matter when they actually had a relationship. Doesn't matter that she told Michael explicitly that there was no relationship. Fact of the matter is she went to Jamaica and she had sexual relations with her inferior knowingly. And this is kind of where the episode takes a weird turn. Agree. And is kind of like, uh, it's almost like Dunder Mifflin is doing Jan's job for her. So after this point, everybody breaks for lunch and basically so that everybody can get copies of Michael's diary in order to go over it and get the finer points of things to make their cases. Um, Toby also would like a copy of that, obviously. (laughs) And so at lunch, Jan and Michael are having a discussion as to why Jan used Michael's diary. And Jan is very clear in saying, 
I have to win this. Like, I will do anything to win this. And she says that she's doing it for them, but that's not true. She's just doing it for herself. Right. And so, after this, they are discussing the relationship between... The, the two relationships between Michael and Jan. Their personal relationship and their professional relationship. And the Dunder Mifflin team produces a performance review of Michael by Jan post their official dating date. Yes, it's about one month after their contract. Or, it's not even a contract. I shouldn't call it that. Their registration of relationship with HR. This review states everything that we already know about Michael. Yeah. He, he is not a good manager. He is kind of dumb. He doesn't really know what he's doing. Jan states in there, she's out of, essentially she's out of incentives, doesn't know what to do anymore. Michael should be taken out of the managerial position and demoted to sales where he belongs. Michael is kind of taken aback by this review and counters by saying, there's no way that's, that can be, I was being groomed for this corporate position. I interviewed for it. I was the top candidate. Had it not been for Jan, I would have taken it. Right, exactly. And then we get introduced to David Wallace being in the room for the first time. It's a weird throw in. It is. We also get his testimony in this deposition which i feel like is not applicable so you can object during a deposition but the question will continue so you can object and say outside the scope the objection is noted but nothing stops not like if you've seen you know any portrayal of a trial if an objection is sustained you got to move on so even if someone objected here they they would still get to ask this line of questioning and Michael still has to answer. So they read off David Wallace's statements and they ask David, was Michael considered for the position? And David answers, yeah, we interviewed him. And then they ask, was he a top candidate for the position? And David's like, well, you know, Michael's a nice guy. He has a, you know, he plays a very valuable part in this company. You know, just corporate speak, trying to play off the play off the question. They follow up. Was he a top five candidate for the position? And David is kind of just like, what do you guys want from me here? And then they, they come with the hammer. Was Michael ever seriously considered for the corporate position? To which David Wallace says, no, he was not. And so... Jan's lawyer is the one that has brought this testimony out. So he uses this plus Michael's performance review and Michael's statements about Jan in his diary, which the Dunder Mifflin side has pretty much already conceded that Jan doesn't like Michael. She makes it pretty clear in the way that she treats him and talks about him. They spin all this stuff as, isn't this evidence that Dunder Mifflin doesn't care about their employees? That they there's disrespect, there's inappropriate behavior towards the employees, which, of course, 
is the line that was fed to Michael at the very beginning of this. And Michael says, no, it is not. He goes against Jan. He sides with Dunder Mifflin. It's, it's a fascinating strategy that they are using Jan as both superior and the fired to get to Michael. In a way, they're using Jan as part of like the corporate monolith to be like, well, Jan, as your supervisor, as part of corporate, was disrespecting you. She gave you these bad performance reviews despite being in a relationship with you, despite dating you at that point she used you so they're they're trying to get michael to see this it but he the the things cracked more so for him and jan versus him and dunder mifflin and i think we really see the epitome of that post deposition once everything is pretty much over after michael says that i mean that's that's case closed pretty much if this is if Michael truly is the star witness for both sides here and David Wallace comes up to Michael and just like hey really sorry about that it's just you know yeah he apologizes that Michael has to be in the middle yeah and Michael is just like you know what no no big deal it's it's fine and he stops David before he leaves the room and says David I think you're a really nice guy too and so it's kind of that I think Michael was I think Michael had his mind made up the whole time or at least wasn't smart enough to different like to figure out what each side was trying to do to him here and all he heard was Michael's a really nice guy and he's good at his job. I think it's telling though the line that Michael says to the camera crew He says that you expect to get screwed by your company. You don't expect to get screwed by your girlfriend. So the betrayal by Jan is just too much here. And I I think that's just, it just rings out so loud here. Because at lunch, as they were cleaning up their trays, Michael asked Jan, like, why'd you go for my diary? And Jan's response is, well... I got the diary, you sent out that photo, we're even. Which is just not something that a solid relationship is going to be built on. And they don't ever talk about it as they're driving back from New York. Michael asks, you know, what do you want for dinner? It's just stony silence. And Jan says, well, Chinese. And Michael, Michael's response is, we have to save money. What about something cheaper? And Jan says, that was my cheap option. So they're just... continuously on different pages on the littlest things here and things just will continue to fall apart for Jan and Michael not that they were ever that solid to begin with if you think about where they were when Jan got fired Jan decided she was going to make their relationship her her job but she really hasn't done that yeah considering the fact that they got back to get like Michael knew he wanted to break up with right. Jan. And the only reason they got back together is because Jan got a boob job. Right. Not great. Uh, not great relationship foundation. Meanwhile, back at the office, we learn that the warehouse has a ping pong table for some reason. 
and that Jim and Daryl have been facing off against each other, and the results have heavily favored Daryl. Jim appears to be a competent ping pong player. He can return the serves. He can return. There are volleys that happen, but Daryl seems to always win, and it generally isn't close. And the person that is really eating this up and kind of reveling in this is Kelly. So it appears that Kelly and Daryl are officially dating. She does call him her boyfriend. And Kelly and Pam, it seems like they go down to watch Daryl and Jim play ping pong. Kelly is over the top in everything she does and watching her beloved play ping pong is no different. Because Daryl typically wins. Kelly uses that opportunity to just lay it on to Pam. And Kelly says she doesn't talk trash. She talks smack. She just needles Pam all the time over the fact that Jim isn't doing that well. At one point, she asked if Jim's parents were first cousins who were also bad at ping pong. She says, what has two skinny legs and sucks at ping pong? Oh, not my boyfriend. It's your boyfriend. So just kind of ridiculous taunts. And this clearly is grating on Pam. And she reaches the point to where she sets up a ping pong table in the conference room, just using the conference table. And it looks like uh, six pack rings to make the net. And... She says to Jim, you're going to practice so you can beat Daryl. And she asks around the office to gather opponents for Jim to play. First, she brings in Kevin. Then we see Meredith leaving the room at one point. And then Dwight enters the conference room. And Dwight is ready to put a stop to this ping pong game until Jim convinces him otherwise and says, got a new client, big ping pong guy, got to impress him. Can you help me? Can you, can we practice so I can get good at ping pong so we can get this client? And Dwight buys that. Dwight also reveals that he is super into ping pong. All of his heroes are ping pong players and he name drops like five in a row and says that the first time he left Pennsylvania, It was for one of uh, these ping pong players' induction into the Hall of Fame. And Dwight is trouncing Jim also. But it gets to the point to where Pam can't wait any longer, I guess. guess. Like, according to Dwight, Jim has gotten worse in the time that they are playing. And so Pam still thinks it's a good idea for Jim to face Daryl now. And... The result is the same. Daryl beats Jim very handily. We hear the score is 19 to 4 at one point. And when the game is over, Pam's heard enough. Pam has heard enough of Kelly talking trash and just like, all right, time to show, time to put up or shut up, essentially. <laughs> we're we're gonna play. And Kelly is kind of like, wait, what? No. Oh, well, fine, let's yeah, let's go. And it turns out neither of them are very good either. Well, they can't even really volley for the serve. 
And so Jim and Daryl end up going upstairs to the conference room to play on that table. So side, quick side story. We had a ping pong table uh, in college. So it would have been like my senior year in our basement. We had a ping pong table. And my friend, like emulating Jim, <laughs> would always serve. And then he'd yell out, spin serve, like when he was serving. Like Jim does when he's playing against Dwight. And that really wraps up the episode. Again, this is another episode where we got a big time A plot that doesn't have a ton to do with the rest of the season at whole. It does start to put in some cracks in the Jan and Michael relationship, which really comes to a head in a classic episode, the next episode. But that's about it. The ping pong stuff is pretty useless. Yeah, it was a weird episode. We don't get a lot of um, small characters. Like, some of them don't even have any lines. Like, they're all there. I don't think we see Creed. But it's mainly focused on... It's kind of a cringy episode because it's so focused on making Michael look pretty foolish all the way around. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. So this was the last original episode to air in 2007 due to the writer's strike. So the writer's strike occurred from November 5th through February 12th. So during that whole stretch, I think it was just reruns or whatever was being shown on TV at that time. And so the next episode didn't come until... I don't even know if it would have automatically dropped. Like, I don't know how TV production works. I was kind of thinking about this the other day where there clearly is the filming and the, you know, production aspect, but then there's the the post-production of editing, putting it all together. So I don't know if they do this all over the span of six months or if there's breaks in there, if they do a first half of the season. Don't know how this would have come to fruition, but yeah, it took... It was quite a bit of a break. And again, as we've said kind of many times before over this season, that's why you have so many missing episodes. In the lunchroom, when Michael goes to sit with Toby, because that's really the only friendly face, and Toby is telling Michael, you know, he can empathize because his parents were divorced and they made each of them wanted him to testify against the other Michael grows weary of hearing Toby talk and he pushes Toby's tray off the table well that wasn't a scripted moment they were doing the last shot and Paul Lieberstein encouraged Steve Carell to go for that and they kept that in and you can see like there is a very very faint smile on Toby's face when he does it because similar to Oscar last episode when yeah Stanley is just like why don't you mind your own business like he's trying not to to break there and at the very end of this episode we see this epic ping pong match between Dwight and his cousin Mose and that was computer generated Michael Schur and Rain Wilson made the motions which you kind of tell because the ball goes to the exact same spot every time uh and then it was yeah just CGI'd in there Curtis do we have any firings So this is a little difficult to determine who actually gets fired. There's a lot of ping pong playing happening in this episode. We did have quite a debate off mic about 
how this would go down. So, of the people that we see playing ping pong, there is Daryl, Jim, Kevin, Meredith, and Dwight. There is nothing in the episode that tells us that Jim and Daryl are not playing ping pong while on a break, during their lunch, after work, whatever. So it's hard to say that Daryl gets fired here. However, we do know that Jim, Meredith, Kevin, and Dwight all definitely are playing during work time. I would say that Dwight was playing under false pretenses and, you know, I don't know. And the reason why we're struggling with this is because if you think back to the local ad episode in which we pretty readily and easily fired Dwight and Jim for playing Second Life at work during work time kind of all day. I think that everyone should be fired, I guess, including Dwight. I think Daryl should be fired. I think Kelly and Pam also get in there as well. Curtis disagrees and feels like Daryl, since we don't actually know when he was playing, and Kelly, since we don't actually know when she was watching Daryl play, you know, could have been on a break or something. And I would argue the same goes for Pam in that she may have been setting up the ping pong table during a break. And she never really, like, stops working for an extended period of time. She's, she just goes and she's, she's the gopher for, for... She's down in the warehouse watching an entire ping pong game. But potentially, potentially during a break again. True. Anything that happens in the warehouse could be done on personal time. Whether it be during a break, lunch break, after work. I guess there's that's n- true. There's no way to know that. Okay, so who do we lose? I think we lose Jim, Kevin, Dwight, Meredith, personally. Okay. Kelly and Pam are gray areas. They are accessory to the crime. Sure. But I think they get a reprimanding in this situation. And they may all do so. I mean, sometimes with time-wasting in that sense of where people are just having fun together. It's a little bit different than I'm playing an individual computer game at my computer with a headset during the day. Like this is where we're making this distinction here. And there, but there's also a difference between like time wasting and having fun where you were walking by somebody's queue, like on your way to on the way to get coffee or on the way back from the bathroom, you walk by somebody's cube and you strike up a conversation and, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes later, oops, like you, that was, that's innocent enough, but, but actively going to play a computer game or play ping pong, like that's, you are consciously making that choice. Right. That's true. So how many, what's the stats for those? So Jim is fired. It's his third firing this season. It's his sixth overall. Dwight gets fired. It's his fourth firing this season. It's his 10th overall. Kevin gets fired. It's his first firing this season. It's his fifth overall. And then Meredith gets fired. It's her fourth firing this season and fourth overall. 
So Daryl Watch continues. We towed the line here for for the first time. An I argu- thought this was going to take him out. An argument could be made either way. I think in the spirit of a wrongful termination, <laughs> it, in the spirit of an episode about a wrongful termination, the argument could be made that Daryl was not using company time to play ping pong. <laughs> sure. Do you have a Dundee to give out? I do. Uh, the Bad Cheerleaders Award goes to Jim and Daryl. Throughout this episode, we see Pam and Kelly just getting real into watching their boyfriends play ping pong, talking smack to each other, organizing practice sessions with other employees, just really invested in this. And then the second that they get to play and turn out to be really bad at it, their boyfriends are just like, no, we're not going to watch this. Do you want to go play somewhere else? And then they do that. That is is a bummer. What is your Dundee? The best use of a mid-2000s earworm goes to Kelly for turning Avril Lavigne's boyfriend into an insult. (laughs) At one point, she says to Pam, like, Hey, hey, you, you, I don't like your boyfriend because he sucks at ping pong. (laughs) So, not a great song. No, it was an awful song. I hated that (laughs) song. I hated Avril Lavigne for all of her songs because Skater Boy was terrible. Um, that was going to be turned into a Broadway musical. Complicated? <laughs> yeah. That was my least favorite. Uh, there was one more song in there that I'm blanking on. She had a hot moment there for like 2008. Until she died. No, not 2008. That was way early. 2003. Yeah. Until she died. She didn't die. That's just... <laughs> That's just people's weird obsession with celebrities in the mid-2000s. Who is your employee of the month? My employee of the month is Daryl for thoroughly dominating Jim in ping pong. Even when Jim gets, quote, better, he (laughs) still loses by 17 points. Jim's struggle is on reflexes. Like, he's caught flat-footed a lot. Because he thinks like, oh, this is just an easy volley instead of going for the point. Right. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Dwight for actually similar reasons because he is at one point like texting using T9 on a flip phone and still wins the point against Jim. (laughs) Even despite the devastating Spencer. (laughs) Yes. So that does it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates and continue listening to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.